Hey guys, this is Gary, and welcome to another episode of Pod Wars. On Pod Wars, we'd like to dissect Star Wars, Marvel, and our favorite little nuggets of geeky media. I'm here today with my favorite scruffy-looking nerf herder, Justice. What's up, guys? And my audio quality right now is going to sound awful because I turned, I tore everything down, so I apologize for that. But with that, Gary, we're going to hop into some Twitter tidbits, and you can uh, take away the rest of the intro. Live from the Pod Nation, we bring you Twitter Tidbits. So, for Twitter Tidbits this week, we want to give a few thank yous out there to, uh, first off, anything at Anything Nerdy. Thank you for following us. Um, at Zuko's Bikini, fantastic name, by the way. Thank you for retweeting our episode with Jesse Flowers the voice actor for Toph, and thanks to WSDR and Conversations from the Red 5 Network for adding us onto their mega lists online. And that is our Twitter tidbits. But guys, I'm excited for this upcoming episode for you all to listen to it. We had on today Jason Eberl, who is a professor of philosophy and ethics, and we talk a lot about just a ton of philosophy throughout Star Wars on what is the force? What is the nature between the dark side and the light side? What would the main philosophers say on this nature? Is it an absence of good? Is the dark side an entity to itself? What about Anakin? Is he predestined to fall or was his fall of his own volition? And our favorite part of what is the overall moral statement of Star Wars? Excited for you guys to listen to it. I'm happy here today to have Dr. Jason Erbel on the podcast. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Gary. A pleasure to be here. Now, Jason, you especially work mainly with the idea of ethics and as a professor, but you've done a lot within geeky media and contributed to a few projects, one of them being the Ultimate Star Wars and Philosophy that you guys can get off of Amazon, as well as Star Wars and Philosophy more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So what kind of drew you towards looking at Star Wars and philosophy and combining those two worlds? Yeah, so part of what led me to want to study philosophy in the first place in college was uh, just the influence of of Star Wars and sci-fi fantasy in general. Uh, I'm a huge uh, Star Trek fan as well, Lord of the Rings, all that stuff. and uh, you know, just like probably with all of us, you know, we always get attracted by these, you know, themes of, of good and evil and, you know, these deeper metaphysical concepts in the case of Star Wars, like the Force, or in the case of Star Trek, you know, weird aliens and technology. Um, it just fires the imagination. And when I realized that there's, you know, a whole field of study uh, where you can kind of delve into some of these questions, uh, I was like, yeah, I'm in. And thankfully, was able to um, you know get through grad school and and land jobs teaching and uh, have a successful career so far. But yeah, what the what I then decided to do was um, there's this yeah book series that you referred to that uses pop culture media to teach philosophy. Right? I mean, not everyone wants to sit down with you know Nietzsche's Twilight of the Idols and work their way through it. Some people do. Other people may be intrigued by the ideas, but are not going to read through 
you know, hundreds of pages of uh, 19th century German philosophy. And so our ideas with these books um, is, you know, to use the pop culture's kind of spoonful of sugar to help the philosophical medicine go down <laughs> um, and, and expose people to these ideas. Do you feel like it gets it gets across better when you use these these pop culture references for students? It, it does, but of course, you have to make sure you use the right references. Um, I've actually uh, taught courses um, on philosophy and pop culture. In fact, in um, in my current job, I primarily teach bioethics as a subfield of philosophy. It's actually an interdisciplinary field, um, looking at questions in medical ethics and biomedical research. And so I'm teaching a course this spring at my university called um, Bioethics in Pop Culture. And one of the things I've, I've learned is uh, I need to update that syllabus pretty much constantly and use my uh, 20-something-year-old graduate assistants to help me find new things. Um, you know, because I still draw on like, you know, for like medical ethics. I still go back to ER from the 1990s. And it's like, no, 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 no. You, you got to bring in Grey's Anatomy. You got to bring in all these other things that people are watching today. <laughs> Justice, you have a soft Star spot Wars for is still Grey's. something people are watching today. <laughs> oh, I, I love me some Grey's Anatomy. I know it is not anywhere accurate whatsoever. If you're going to watch an accurate show, you should watch Scrubs, but it's still entertaining. <laughs> Actually, Scrubs is on the syllabus for this semester too. We're going to hey. watch an episode of that. <laughs> love it. I love Scrubs so much. It's it's so great, but. Scrubs aside here, guys, we, let's let's dive into a little bit of Star Wars. So uh, we have to ask everybody we have come on, wh what is your favorite Star Wars film? Uh, I mean, for me, it, hands down, it's got to be Empire Strikes Back. I mean, just objectively speaking, it is the best. There's not going to be much debate on that. Um, I do have a, a soft spot for Return of the Jedi because that was the first one, first film I actually saw in a the theater. So just not only did you know the, the George Lucas start us in Media Ray with episode four, I jumped in at episode six and then had to go back and watch four and five. Um, and then um, and then Rogue One, uh, it was, you know, among the films, I just thought it was such a perfectly done Star Wars film. Um, so yeah, that, I guess those are my top three. Which, yeah, Rogue One is fantastic, and everyone has to show some love to the original trilogy. I'm still waiting for one day getting a guest who's like, Attack of the Clones, my number one. One day, we're going to get there. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, for, for younger people, so like my daughter, my daughter's 23, and so for her, the first Star Wars film she saw in the theater uh, was actually uh, Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. But she had, I mean, she had already seen... Phantom Menace because I was wearing out the VHS tape. Yes, it was still VHS at that point, and um, and Attack of the Clones. So, so for her, the prequel trilogy is like, yeah, her go-to. Um, so, yeah, maybe another 10, 15 years, you know, people would be like, oh yeah, I saw spot for Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're unashamedly prequel fans here, but we love everything Star Wars. Now. Today, I'd love to dive into a few different things that you've written about and talked about. Um, if you guys have already listened to our podcast with Dr. David Kyle Johnson, you know, we've kind of touched on some of the ideas of what is the main moral dilemmas or the moral, the story for Star Wars. We're going to dive a little deeper into that. But one thing that I'd like to especially talk with is 
kind of how good and evil are portrayed in Star Wars. Because that's something you've written about before and we discussed as well. Uh, one thing that is particularly interests me is kind of you wrote about uh, Augustine and this concept that evil is essentially the absence of good in that mindset is the force showing the same kind of philosophy. Can you kind of break that down a little bit? Yeah. So I think one of the brilliant things in, in Lucas's crafting of this uh, moral universe and part of the reason it resonates, you know, globally and, and for so long um, is that he really picks up on a lot of different themes in both Eastern and Western philosophy and religion um, about, you know, the nature of reality and good and evil within that reality. And so I would, so there's, there's not really one purely coherent thread. You know, Lucas doesn't want to just give like, here's a Christian view of good and evil, or here's a Buddhist view of good and evil, right? Um, you know, he's, he's trying to create something that uh, synthesizes these different views of good and evil. And, and so, for example, you get this one sense that, that the lights inside the dark side, good and evil, are real things, right? They are manifestations of the force, um, and, and they're locked in this battle. And this is that, this worldview that uh, I describe in, um, in one essay I wrote uh, as a Manichaean worldview. Uh, the Manichaeans were a Persian sect in the ancient world, and they literally thought that there were like two cosmic forces, two gods, locked in an eternal struggle, and we're sort of caught in the middle. And uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Augustine, right? A major fifth uh, century Christian theologian philosopher. And he, before he became a Christian, actually uh, fell in with the Manichaeans for a while. He was really attracted by their philosophy. Um, but then he ended up rejecting it and, and adopting this, this Christian view where there's only one God. Uh, so in this case, we say there's only one force. And unlike the Christian God, who is all completely good, right? The force has these two sides to it, right? But the thing they share in common is that there's one thing, right? And the and so because on the Christian view, from Augustine's Christian view, there is one God, and God is good. Like it's not that God is good the way we might say that you know Mother Teresa is good or somebody. Like God is goodness itself. God is the source of goodness, right? In Augustine's view. And so, what is evil? It's anything lacking from God right? It's, it's anything missing. And so this is this notion of evil as a privation, as a lack of something. Um, and so, and, and so even like, again, in a Christian context, you think of personifications of evil, like, you know, Satan, right? The devil, right? The, it's not that Satan is evil itself. It's, it's that Satan, as we were saying, Star Wars, allies himself with the dark side. Um, and even, Gary, at your suggestion, I watched last night, uh, after my two viewings of the Mandalorian finale, um, I watched the uh, Clone Wars episodes that deal um, with uh, Mortis. Yes, love those episodes. Yeah, and at first I was kind of expecting that, that you know, the, the, the daughter and the son were going to be like, again, personifications of the light and the dark side. Um, but one of the things that struck me is when the father describes the son as moving towards the dark side, right? So it's not that the son is the dark side. He's someone who's attracted by the dark side. So the dark side is still something separate from him. And again, if you think of the, the Christian story, the Christian mythos, 
that's again what Satan is, right? Satan isn't the evil. Satan is a being who's attracted by evil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so on this view, this is so this goes back to, like I said, fits in with Augustine's worldview that goodness is what's real. Goodness is the is the true and the beautiful, and departures from that is what we call evil. Which you can definitely see a good amount of that in Star Wars. And for those who aren't familiar with um, the Clone Wars and the Mortis arc, it's essentially where you have Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka in this kind of ethereal separate space in which they run into the manifestations or I guess these creatures who are taking on the aspects of the dark side in the sun, the light side in the daughter, and the father, father in between. So I think it's interesting that you mentioned there because... It seems that the sun isn't just a, he's truly the dark side. It's that he is a creation of the father that's leaning away from that original creation. Exactly. Uh, you know, again, all in, in, in the Christian theological understanding, right? God is the source of all being and all goodness. So every being that exists, even truly evil you know, beings like, again, the mythological Satan or someone real like Adolf Hitler, um, are still creations of God, are still children of God, are still beings who are loved by God, uh, no matter how evil they become. And and again, this is a theme, you know, um, growing up Catholic, this is a theme that resonated with me in watching Return of the Jedi and the whole theme of, of, of Luke's redemptive love of his father. And uh, that, you know, the goodness that Anakin had in him is a goodness all of us have in it. Even Palpatine has good in him. He just has fully rejected it, um, and there's probably no hope, or you know, wasn't any hope of saving him. Um, but there was enough goodness in Anakin. Um, it's actually interesting that the same thing that caused Anakin's downfall is what saved him. Right, his love for Padme led to his turn to the dark side, and his love for his son is what is able to bring him back. And we'll dive a little bit into more of those themes of love definitely later on in the show. But I'd like to kind of zero into that idea of the dark side possibly being an absence of the light. And what the heck would that mean then with the prophecy of the chosen one and this idea of balance? Because I know, Justice, you've talked a lot on the show too about how we kind of debate who brought balance to the force. Was it Luke? Was it Anakin? Was it Ray and Kylo at the end? I mean, regardless of how we think about the, you know evil or the dark side, whether it's this privation of light or not, or or that something just as real as light as goodness, I think on either picture, there's this notion that that there's always going to be this dyad, right? Again, Ray and Ben refer to as a dyad in the force. There's always going to be uh, this the, these two sides, and you get you know you get this a lot more clearly again the Eastern philosophical themes that that come in um, the concept of of yin and yang. Um, and and the constant need to balance and the fact that the two actually partly live within each other. Um, and so the idea being that um, that that the well, this here's an idea that uh, the philosopher Frederick Schelling brings up. That again, I, I mentioned my essay and my friend and colleague George Dunn writes about it at length in one of his essays in, in the Ultimate Star Wars and Philosophy book. The idea that the universe is fundamentally chaotic. And what we think of as evil of the dark side is actually chaos. And that what goodness is, is the bringing of order 
to chaos. Um, and actually, even Augustine thinks about goodness in this way as, a, as an ordering of things. Right? We talk about ordering our emotions, our passions, ordering our desires, this idea of, of, of sort of a rational ordering to the universe. And so the point being is that you're never going to have a perfect order. There's always going to be that element of chaos. There's always going to be that pull towards chaos. Um, even in physics, right? We talk about entropy, that the you know that 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 movement towards disorder. And so I think that tension is always going to be there. And we can do one of two things with it. We can either try to push it away, ignore it, um, attempt to destroy it, or we can acknowledge it and accept it. And ultimately, all of this, you know, for Lucas is psychological. I mean, he really read a lot of child psychology in writing Star Wars. Uh, especially when he got to the prequels and was you know depicting a young Anakin, and the idea being that this cosmic battle of light and dark side—it's really always, always about the inner battle within each person. Um, and and the moral lesson is to live with that balance within our own selves. Yeah, one of the things that I've always thought is that there's there's like there's you know two different types of force. There's the force that like determines what's going on like the whole skywalker trilogy and like how their life plays out but then there's the force that you could tap into and control with your own self um and and i feel like that's kind of what we're getting into we're like um i don't like uh i guess i don't know where i'm going with this but that's that's where like i've always had my thought and like the way i view the force in star wars which it's kind of like uh qui-gon style like living force cosmic force and you even mentioned that a little bit jason too yeah no exactly um you know, I, I always like to go back to, you know, the earliest depi- the old depictions of the Force, the earliest things said about it. And so we start with Obi-Wan in Episode 4. And um, the scene where he's training Luke in the Falcon, and, um, you know, he's telling Luke on the one hand to stretch out with his feelings, to let go. Um, and then Luke, uh, he says, you can feel the Force flowing through you. And Luke says, you mean it controls your actions, right? The force is controlling me. And Obi-Wan responds, partially, but it also obeys your commands. And again, it's this sort of binocular way of of viewing things like the force. That there's, as Obi-Wan says, only the Sith deal in absolutes, right? There's no absolute one way (laughs) uh, to think of the force, right? It's it's a both and. And... um, and again, we, we think about in uh, in you know Western or Eastern contemplative or meditative practices, right? There's always this element of 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 surrender, of letting go, of of you know you kind of accepting what is naturally occurring. But then a lot of times there's a call to action. Sometimes we have to do things. Um, you know, we have to contemplate, but we also have to act. Um, and so again, I, I, I think that's again one of the key lessons of Star Wars for, for us to take away is is that duality of contemplation and action of letting go and when necessary taking control. And don't you even like go even a little further where you're talking about how like when we do take that action, it's like up your motive and how you're taking that action, or like because you could it's not good to like defeat evil with evil, but like when you have like, when your motives are pure and then you defeat evil, that's when it's okay. Exactly right. Um, the um, medieval philosopher um, named Peter Abelard uh, argued that the the only thing that is subject to moral evaluation 
is our is our intention, right? It's it's not even the actual choices we make or the actions we do or the consequences we bring about, right? So different moral philosophers throughout history have focused on those all those different aspects uh, of of human moral action, right? And Abelard's saying it's it's all about your intention. It's all about what is that motivating desire that informs your choice to do an action and to at least attempt to bring about certain consequences, whether those consequences are, are good or evil. And in that sense, I mean, if we go back to um, Anakin, um, I mean, Anakin wanted to save his wife and his unborn child, or he didn't know yet, children. Um, and he wanted to bring you know, justice and peace and order to the galaxy, right? Those are good motivations. Um, but Augustine's response to that would say, yeah, those are good motivations, but they're inordinate. They, they go too far. He goes out of balance with recognizing that in trying to create peace and order to the galaxy, it's actually going to involve more violence, deprivation of people's freedoms, and and you know ultimately more evil than good, and so that's what we always have to see. We have to we have to look at those motivations, and and see where we can again bring the, keep things in balance. Now, what's, this kind of leads me to the question of, I, I mean, it's again debated a ton among fans, and it's definitely something I thought about a ton. How did Anakin bring balance to the Force? So, like, as a fan, as well as a philosopher, as somebody who studies all this philosophy, how would you say that Anakin actually brought this balance? Yeah, um, like you said, it's it's a debated point of whether he did, mm-hmm. um, and and certainly, I would I would say, I mean, if we didn't have the the sequel trilogy, I would say yes, Anakin is one of our balance to the force, right? Luke was a conduit for, you know, Anakin to bring balance to the Force. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't give the credit to Luke, ultimately. Um, but then what we find out with the sequel trilogy, whether we like it that what this way or not, is that, well, Anakin failed, <laughs> right? We thought he brought back balance by destroying the Emperor, but he didn't. And, um, and the Emperor comes back. And so then we don't just need one chosen one, right? We need two, right? We need the combination of Ray and Ben together. We need this dyad. Um, so the idea that yes, Anakin was the chosen one and maybe we could still say he ultimately brought balance. Um, because I guess you could say maybe the, you know, there, there's kind of two sides to Anakin, right? Um, there, there are his, his own light side, which ends up being embodied in his own children. And then there's his dark side, uh, which is the legacy of Vader, right? And so Ben is attracted to the legacy of Vader. Ray is trains with Luke and Leia, both of Anakin's children. Um, and so in that sense, even though Ray and Ben are two people, they're actually representing two sides of Anakin. And so again, it's this internal balance within Anakin himself that both his light and his dark sides as personified in Ray and Ben. So I guess we still get the credit to Anakin in the end. <laughs> I mean, in the sequel trilogy, he even says to Ray, like, bring balance to the force like I did or, or something like that. I probably misquoted it, but like he 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 goes along the lines and I don't know if they put that in there just to please the fans or if like it, you're going like back to your point, like like just giving courage to Ray and whatnot. Yeah. And I guess the we if we go with that line and yeah, you to my memory, you quoted correctly. Right. So Anakin's saying so this is canonical. You know, it's telling Ray, bring balance to the force as I did. 
So he did bring balance to the force. He didn't fail because he did destroy the emperor, at least for a time. And maybe the lesson there is, you know, the need for eternal vigilance, as they say, mm. right? Because this balance is never a permanent thing, right? There's probably been, there's probably been other chosen ones. There's probably been other versions of this in Star Wars, you know, history. And, you know, the force gets brought into balance for a time, and then something throws it out of balance. Um, and so there's, it's a constant ebb and flow. Um, there's never a, and in human history, same thing, right? There's, there's not any moment in human history that you can point to and say, the world was perfect right then and there. If only we could get back to that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's always been, sometimes things are going better. Sometimes things are really worse. Sometimes things, right? So. And I, I do like your point too, of how kind of, I guess, Ray and, and Kylo can inherently take back their motivations to Anakin. Like Anakin branched off both the dark and the light together in that dyad. But we, we mentioned a lot of kind of biblical teaching and biblical philosophy. Um, I'd like to dive into that a little bit. So where do you think that Lucas's vision really adopts more of the biblical kind of philosophy? And where do you think it sort of diverges from that? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a tough question to ask because, of course, when, when we use the term biblical, right, we're talking about, you know, a set of, of ancient texts that have influenced, you know, you know, three at least major, you know, religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Mm. And although there's a kind of a shared cosmological worldview among these uh, three major religions, there's a lot of philosophical and theological differences as well. So there's it's hard to say, and they, and they can all kind of legitimately trace them back to their biblical roots, right? So there's probably not one biblical philosophy we can draw on, mm. which is, again, maybe which is maybe a part of the appeal and why, you know, um, so many people are attracted, you know, to these religious traditions, um, because something in the Bible speaks to them. Again, just as Star Wars speaks to us, because there's so much there. It's so rich. Um and for those who want action and adventure, there's plenty of battles and stuff in the Bible too, right? Just not with lightsabers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would say the, but but to at least partially answer your question. Like I said, Lucas, um, you know, his motivation that uh, I I quote an interview with him at one point, in one of my, um, you know, saying that he does believe in God. Like he doesn't specifically say that whether he's Christian or or whatever. Um, but he does say, you know, I, I believe in God, you know, some sort of concept of God. I believe in the reality of good and evil. And so from that perspective, um, he's definitely, you know, somewhat inspired by the, you know, these monotheistic traditions by, by the Bible. But as I said earlier, he certainly isn't trying to appeal. But it's not like J.R.R. Tolkien, um, you know, specifically wrote Lord of the Rings as a Catholic morality tale. And, you know, for those who are, you know, Catholic or grew up Catholic, you, you know, the themes is, you know, leap off the pages or, or out of the screen when you watch the films. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote The Chronicles of Narnia as a specifically Christian allegory. Um, so there are, you know, stories like that that are drawing very specifically. But then there are others like Star Wars, um, like Frank Herbert's Dune, that are looking at a broader mythological tradition. Um, you know, a huge influence on on Lucas. Uh, you're probably aware was the mythologist Joseph Campbell, who wrote this book called A Hero with a Thousand Faces and the Hero's Journey, right? And so, 
again, you look at Norse mythology, Greek mythology, um, uh, Hindu mythology, right? Uh, the story of um, Siddhar- uh, the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama becoming the Buddha, right? All, there's common elements in these stories, whether they're mythological or historical. Um, and, and so there, that's where we can maybe find some truth, right? Uh, something across all of these different religious and philosophical worldviews. So in the end, I would say, is Lucas influenced by, you know, biblical philosophy or biblical theology? Definitely. Uh, but not just that. Yeah, there's definitely a good mix, which I think adds in, like you mentioned, to kind of the overall acceptance of it and the attraction to this. Um, but one other thing kind of maybe on the, I don't know if it's necessarily a biblical front, but on more of a kind of predestination front. I, I saw in one of the abstracts of your books, the idea of Anakin and him being the chosen one and kind of his destiny. So with this, do you feel like Anakin was kind of predestined for his fall or is he, is there an element of free will? Where is that kind of dichotomy between predestination and free will in Anakin's story? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, yeah. So the, the first uh, book that I co-edited with my friend Kevin Decker um, that was just called Star Wars and Philosophy, uh, more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Um, my, it, it, again, these books are collected essays written by different philosophers, most of them friends of ours. Um, uh, but then each of us editors or co-editors contribute our own essay. And so my essay in that book was exactly on that question, right? Was Anakin destined to fall? And again, I, I, I look, I, I kind of examined it through uh, an Augustinian lens, mm. and because Augustine talked a lot about predestination, God is is all knowing, and clearly there was some prophet in the Jedi past who maybe wasn't omniscient, but at least had a vision of the future um, of of what Anakin would do, right? And so, in that sense, it seems like Anakin is predestined, but that word predestination. You know, it implies this idea that someone, we'll, we'll just say God, um, is making you do it, right? God is predestining you um, to, you know, be good, excuse me, be good or be evil. And some Christian traditions, following uh, the theologian John Calvin uh, from the 16th century, uh, take this notion, you know, quite literally, right? That they believe that we're all born already predetermined to heaven or hell, right? To, to salvation or damnation. Um, and our freedom is simply that illusion of choice because we don't know which way we're predestined, right? Um, but Augustine says, look, the, what makes God omniscient is that God is outside of time, right? This, this, this word eternity um, doesn't just mean that God exists over all time. It means that God is outside the space-time continuum. And, you know, we all love reading comic books. I, th- I picture it this way. Imagine you have your favorite comic book laid out in front of you. And typically we read a comic book sequentially, right? You read one panel on one page, the next panel on that page, and so on. And you turn the page. But imagine all the panels of the entire story were all laid out in front of you. And you had the visual and cognitive ability to just see all the panels at once, right? You're not looking at each panel sequentially. You're just seeing it all laid out right there in one moment. That's the notion of eternal vision. So on this view, right, God or the force is sees everything that's happening, but doesn't determine what's going to happen. So I would still say, so I argue that Anakin has free will, 
because God doesn't, the reason Anakin's the chosen one is not because God or the force determines that Anakin's going to fall. It's simply that God, the force, this prophet in the force, just simply knows that Anakin's going to do it. Um, Augustine says, think of it this way, our memory of the past doesn't determine the past, right? I mean, in other words, well, we, we would all like to think that The Last Jedi came out a little, at least a little differently than it did. Because we, because we know how it turns out, we can't change how it turns out. But our knowing that doesn't make it so, right? It is what it is. Same thing. God's knowing from our perspective the future doesn't make the future so. It, the future is going to be what it is because of, again, choices that we make and so on. So, so yes, in that sense, Anakin was both predestined but also free. It's a both and. Which is such an interesting way to look at it. Because I know uh, Justice and myself because uh, have talked about Calvinism a ton. Because I grew up in that kind of community with the thought processes. And there's, I, I think there's also the idea of like the once saved, always saved sort of philosophy as well. Of can you truly have that be in the light, go back to the dark, go back to the light, kind of back and forth. Which you also see in Star Wars. And I like the idea of maybe the Force kind of envisioned all of this and one Jedi got a glimpse of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, we still don't fully understand how we should think about the Force. And again, this is the duality that that Lucas presents. And again, making the Force something appealing to people across the world is like, sometimes the Force seems to be have a personification, right? There's the reference to the will of the Force, right? So again, kind of like, a monotheistic God, right? There's things are being in some sense determined by the force. Um, but on the other hand, we, again, we go back to Yoda, the empire strikes back, right? The force is something not separate from the universe, uh, but within the universe, right? And the forces comes out of the universe, right? The force is created by all living things. And so I guess if there's a will to the force, it's kind of the will of, of the cosmos, right, so to speak. Um, and what makes up the cosmos, right? Every living being within it. And so to the extent that living beings who are capable of choice make choices, it's kind of like we determine our own will of the force. Um, and there's also this notion of, of, you know, of balance and counterbalance in the sense of sometimes when we make choices, that say go against nature, um, nature counterbalances. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, global warming and stuff today, climate change as a natural response to things that humans have done um, in polluting the atmosphere and water and so on, right? So we do actions, nature reacts, right? And not to personify mm-hmm. nature, but it's almost like personification. It's almost like, you know, we talk about mother nature, right? Um, and it's kind of like Mother Nature is getting back to us with all the wildfires and, and everything. Um, so, again, kind of think of the same way in The Force. And if you've read the Darth, the Darth Plagueis novel, um, that novel you know, makes very clear that, that Anakin's creation was a direct response to the you know, life-extending experiments that Plagueis and Sidious were engaged in. Um, the Force reacts to their action, right? They're introducing imbalance in the natural order by trying to defeat death, which is part of nature, and nature reacts with bringing, you know, Anakin into existence. 
This hasn't been confirmed, but I've always thought that maybe um, Grogu is like the other dyad to Anakin um, because they're kind of born around the same time period. Um, and I know the, I like the idea, like you're talking about the Plagueis. I wish that was still uh, canonical um, or canonical, but like uh, I, I, I do think that it's an interesting thought. Like is Grogu that other dyad then Star Wars just hasn't confirmed it yet? Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, you know, Obviously, the finale gives the impression, you know, Grogu, Grogu away, and we, I, I don't think they're going to do a Luke Grogu spinoff series. Um, so you, you got to wonder when's Grogu going to come back, right? Um, and because, come on, they got to sell the merchandise and <laughs> the the baby Yoda yeah. merchandise. <laughs> um, you, you can't. If we have a whole season three of just the Mandalorian, as cool as he is, <laughs> I, I don't think that's going to be uh, acceptable to fans. So somehow Grogu's got to come back. The point being is that Grogu's story is by far not done. We have a lot. There's a lot to learn about Grogu. So yeah, I really like your theory because honestly, I myself had not even thought about that about his age and where that puts him. Like we knew obviously he was there for the Jedi Purge, but yeah, he's you know really born around the same time Anakin is, and so if they're not simply chosen ones, but they're these chosen dyads, then yeah, Grogu could very well function in that capacity. And other extended universe books have kind of hinted to what you mentioned, Jason, on the idea that the Force finds a way to balance itself. And I read recently the Darth Revan book, and he mentioned how with his death, there'll be another champion of the light that will come eventually to fight against the Sith. And so you can make the case that Anakin was either the champion to fight against the Sith of Palpatine or Anakin was the like yin to Grogu's yang. I don't know which one's the dark and the light one. Um, but there's there's a lot of heavy stuff there that could definitely be entertained. Couldn't you add like that also is kind of depicted maybe in Ryan Johnson's uh, Last Jedi with the broom kid and him using the force like that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, definitely the, the yin-yang theme is very strongly present in um, in The Last Jedi. And to be honest, you know, I like The Last Jedi a lot more than most fans. Um, I, I basically wish, well, I, I think we'd all agree now, we just wish that Dave Filoni and Jon Favreau had made the sequel trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but... But before the Mandalorian came on the scene um, and blew us all away, my thought always after seeing the all sequel trilogy, I said, I wish either J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson had gotten to do their complete vision. Because I think probably J.J.'s original vision for that trilogy um, was going to be much more coherent. I mean, it's so evident in The Rise of Skywalker where he's retconning and fixing things from The Last Jedi, right? Uh, very conscientiously. And I think that if say from the get go, JJ was not in the picture and Ryan Johnson was handed the reins to do the sequel trilogy. Honestly, this, despite some definite flaws, I think there's an interesting story or that surrounding the last Jedi, that it could have been a very interesting trilogy, certainly a more deeper, thoughtful, more intellectual trilogy, um, which doesn't always make for the best cinematic experience. I mean, um, in the star Trek universe, Star Trek the motion picture um, that came out in 79 is you know one of the most boring films to watch but it's one of the most philosophically interesting <laughs> um, <laughs> so I mean can, can you do philosophy with excitement I guess that's the question <laughs> um, well, we, 
and we talked about that in another podcast. Um, ha- hasn't released yet, but she goes on to talk about how Ryan Johnson. That's his whole thing. Like he, like he made the Last Jedi in a way where it's it's all about um, you know, can like what's like what is a Jedi? What is you know what is the Force? What is a Star Wars movie? And that's what the Last Jedi is. And she goes on to say like maybe like that wasn't the best move to do you know for and the sequel trilogy, but like that's what we got and like that's what he does when he makes movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, going back to the yin yang thing, I mean, there's a specific image in there, you know, in the in the cave with the reflecting pool, not the pool that Ray dives into, um, but the one where her and Luke are talking, where she meditates on the rock. There's a mosaic in that reflecting pool, which is the yin yang, and um, and the the and the star coming in the middle um, that represents you know the force uh, covers both sides. Right. Um, so again, you know, as we all know, it's not that there's a light force and a dark force. These are light and dark sides of the same force. And so we can get so back to that point that I bring up from Shelling that you can never get rid of the darkness. It can never be totally overcome. So every time, you know, you have a defeat of evil, a Palpatine, um, you know, there'll be another Palpatine, right? Uh, you know, and I don't mean a literal reincarnation of Palpatine like happened in the sequels, but there'll be some someone else will come along eventually. It's just a matter of time. Because again, this is all about human psychology or Wookiee psychology, uh, whatever species psychology. Um, we we all have that propensity for good and evil within us, and and that's just part of being a a, a creature who has free will, right? How can we say you have free will if there wasn't the possibility of choosing evil? And because that possibility is there, there'll always be some of us who make that choice. And th- yeah, there's there's tons we can dive into with that. But one of the main reasons I wanted to talk with you today is so Justice, myself, and our other co seven have had long talks about how we think the sequel trilogy kind of derails slightly to the point where you don't feel that like the Skywalker saga is cohesive or does that it has a cohesive kind of plot line or a spiritual message but we're reading some of your work and i know uh dr johnson mentioned as well you have a really good point on a possible thread that really goes well through the saga on kind of the aspects of love and evil can you kind of dive into that for our listeners here yeah um so when i sat down to write this essay for for dr johnson's book um uh, on um, on Star Wars as philosophy. Um, like I said, with with the other two books that I've edited and written for, um, it's it's Star Wars and philosophy, meaning that we're not we're, we're definitely picking up themes in the films and part of the message of the films. But it's also just like, listen, we can make these cool connections, um, like about you know, the use of technology and Heidegger's thought writing in the mid 20th century when World War II is happening and nuclear bombs are going off, right? Is technology good or evil and, and do we have a problem with it? Um, and we're not saying, oh, Lucas read Heidegger and he's putting Heidegger's themes in here. It's just, we, we see these connections, right? That's the kind of purpose of those books. But with this book that, that Kyle was doing, you know, for each thing that's being written about, you know, it's Star Wars as philosophy. Like, what is the philosophical message of Star Wars? And so you do have to dig a bit more into the intentions of the filmmakers, the writers. Um, what are they? You know, what are they trying to convey? And 
because there are all sorts of different writers who have been involved, um, and we'll just, you know, just with the films, let alone everything else in the expanded universe, um, there obviously opens that door for, for some in, inconsistency or incoherent messaging. And to a certain extent, I think that's okay. In fact, maybe even a virtue, uh, partly for reasons I, I said before, um, because there's so many notions of what is good, what is evil, that if Star Wars is to be thought-provoking and appealing across a wide range of cosmological worldviews, then you kind of have to talk about the Force in all these different aspects. But this raises the question, though, then, is there any one correct view? Um, or can these different worldviews, whether in the Star Wars universe or within our own universe, kind of be made to cohere? And so as I was writing this essay and, and going through the different trilogies and different ways they talk about the Force and the light and the dark sides. Yeah, the thing that emerged for me, um, and I was helped in my thinking by a couple other writers who had written for the other books I edited, who really you know, bring out this theme of, of love. Uh, Greg Littman, uh, the one philosopher who talks about this, that, again, we go back to Anakin, right? His love for Padme is what leads him to the dark side. And of course, again, there's nothing wrong with loving your wife and wanting to save her. Um, but like, like Augustine says, I referenced earlier, it's about you know that love being rightly ordered, um, and so so there's that, and then it's his love for Luke as Luke's being tortured by the Emperor that ultimately saves him, um, and as well as Luke's love for his father, which you know leads him to try and bring him back to awaken the the sort of um, uh, you know sleeping goodness with uh, with inside him, so. And then in the sequel trilogy, you obviously have, you know, lots of people did not like the idea of Ray and Ben being romantically entangled. Um, but it seems like that has to be the case, right? It has to be that dyad. For that dyad to be true, there has to be love. And it could be, I mean, again, Luke and Leia were in a dyad because they were both on the light side, unless we go to the Dark Empire comics. <laughs> uh, but those, again, are not canonical anymore, unfortunately. Um, but the point is being that there's, you know, it could be so. It could be that fraternal love, brotherly, sisterly love that Luke and Leia have, or romantic love um, between Ray and Ben. Um, but then there's, but then there's honestly, there's a love that is kind of even more profound than that. Um, and at least this is what you know, Augustine and other, you know, uh, theistic writers think is is God's relation to us, right? If we go back to the Bible, the Bible uses imagery of God being a parent, right? The Our Father. Um, but also God being the spouse, right? Um, and so there's, uh, if you look at the, um, the Song of Solomon, um, it is, in a technical sense, erotic poetry, right? It's not erotic in a sense of, you know, that's pornographic, but it's all about that type of romantic love, right? Um, God being this lover who pursues us. Um, and so, so I think love is such a, is a rich notion that, you can have all these different types of love relationships between persons. And if God is like the ultimate person, then God's relationship to us should manifest in all these different ways. Um, and so same thing then with, with the force you have, you, you have erotic love, you have, you know, fraternal love, you have the love of friendship, right? So, um, you know, you, put the Skywalkers aside for a moment, right? You have all these other characters, right? Um, you have the enduring friendship of C-3PO and R2-D2, 
Han and Chewbacca. Um, and, and in the sequel trilogy, you know, when, you know, Finn and, and Poe are kind of like, you know, how are we going to be able to do this? You know, how did you, talking to Lando, how did you guys defeat the Empire? And Lando's response, we had each other, right? So that love of friendship. Um, and so however manifests, right, in, in terms of friendship, family, romance, um, love seems to be the binding force, <laughs> no pun intended, um, <laughs> be, behind all of these things. And you mentioned, too, how like, uh, like each trilogy has their own theme of love, for good or bad. Like Anakin and Padme's love leading to the downfall, uh, Vader and Luke's love leading to the redemption, and then Rey and Kylo's love leading to the final destruction of Palpatine. And the thing that got me the most is when you quoted Rose with how it's basically the penultimate statement of Star Wars that that's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. And I'm like, dang, Rose just actually quoted the main thread through the entire saga. I know. Who would have thought? I mean, again, that was part of, you know, JJ's unfortunate, you know, perceived need to retcon is he had to really downgrade Rose's character. Um, and and introduce a potential new romantic interest for for Finn. Um, yeah, I really w- wish he had kind of you know kept with Rose. I mean, I know fans had different reactions to her as a character, but I liked her character um, and and thought that that could have been developed more. But yeah, she. I mean, it, it's it's almost, it's almost like <laughs> we didn't realize until Attack of the Clones that wow, Jar Jar Binks is responsible for the rise of the em- Emperor, and wow, Rose Tico is the one who um, you know gives the the. You know, like I said, the the, the penultimate message of, uh, of Star Wars and, and its overarching theme. Uh, you know, another thing I'll say about this too is that I think this is then w- one of the flaws of the Jedi that we see in the prequel trilogy. Um, the Jedi Order, with its you know very strict kind of monastic rules, um, and again, this is kind of um, reflective of a lot of people's views on organized religion and so on that can be very dogmatic and doctrinal and here's all these rules. And of course, you know, one of the rules for the Jedi is, you know, no attachments. Right. And of course, on one hand, that's total BS because they are attached, right? Padawans become attached to their masters. I mean, there's relationships of friendship and love and so on that are, are there. Um, and in fact, I don't know if you guys have watched the Lego holiday special yet. It's um, so good. Yeah. But that's the main, uh, that's the I, I still need to see it. Yeah. It's, it's not as good as I hoped from the trailer, to be honest, but it's, it's definitely not, <laughs> it's much better than the original holiday special. Um, it definitely won't work watching, <laughs> but, but, the, but that's the, but without spoiling it, I'll just say that that's the lesson Ray has to learn is, is, is the relationship of, of masters and Padawans. And, um, and so the point being that, yeah, there's always attachments and, and this is the problem, right? Um, you know, I talk in, in one of my essays about, you know, evil as this phantom menace. And, um, I talk about CS Lewis's, uh, the screw tape letters, which is, uh, this little allegorical t- story, right. About, um, a minor demon named, um, named, uh, Wormwood who's trying to get lessons from his uncle screw tape, uh, a more senior demon about how he can corrupt this young, this young Christian man. And, uh, one of the lessons that Uncle Screwtape says is you can't reveal yourself to him. You can't let him know 
that you're trying to influence them, to try to manipulate him, to try and tempt him to, to evil, um, the more he thinks that you don't exist, which is an allegory to say the more a person denies the potential for darkness within themselves, then the more likely they are to become complacent and they lose that you know, eternal vigilance and that their, their openness to the dark side becomes you know, more, more real. And so I think that that's part of the issue that's going on during the prequel trilogy is that the Jedi become complacent. The Sith have been gone for a millennium. Um, they're you know, shocked when Qui-Gon you know, reports on his initial encounter with Darth Maul. And they can't even see you know, Sidious right in their midst um, and, uh, and uh, in influencing and affecting them. And unable to see how the Clone Wars factor into that they're actually fighting on the wrong side when they're fighting the Clone Wars. So there's all these things that the Jedi are blind to because they kind of become complacent. And I think part of their blindness also is the fact that they denied themselves love um, in at least one of its important dimensions. I mean, Obi-Wan does scream he loves Anakin when you know he cuts him down. Um, but it also, like, everyone always claims that Obi-Wan's like this perfect, you know, Jedi who like has no faults or whatever. Right. And we know that that's not true, right? That even Obi-Wan, uh, mm-hmm. Satine, right? Um, you know, Obi-Wan had his own romantic, um, uh, past and just didn't take it as far as Anakin did. Right. Um, and so one of the things I love about the, the now the, the, the legend series of, of novels, um, is when, you know, Luke marries Mara Jade, um, you know, Luke is not going to live by these old Jedi rules, right? Um, he's like, screw that. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to enjoy the fullness of my life as a person um, and not, you know, just as a, 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 as a celibate Jedi. Um, and so, again, I think the Jedi have, in the prequels, the Jedi Order, part of its weakness, was it, it, it had cut off, it had tried to shunt aside this, the, the evil that can come from inordinate attachment and in so doing then created the space for someone like Anakin to form again, an, an, an inordinate unhealthy attachment um, that, that led you know, him to the dark side. In other words, Anakin would have been a much better husband and a much better Jedi if his marriage could have been out in the open and blessed by the Jedi mm. and so on. But you know, the, the secrecy of it is part of the, I think what led to his downfall. Well, there, yeah. And there's also that thought, like if Qui-Gon had trained Anakin, I feel like Qui-Gon would have helped him with those attachments and helped him with that. The idea of, you know, what is acceptable and not acceptable and what can you, you know, uh, push back against the, the, um, the Jedi council. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Again, uh, you know, we know the concepts of the, the living force and the unifying force. And so I, I think, those who are more attuned to the living force have this understanding, again, to go back to Schelling, of the underlying chaos of the universe that we can't just push away and deny. We have to accept it and live with it. And again, this is the problem of the Empire, right? The Empire is trying to impose an order on a chaotic galaxy. And part of the, the rebellion's response is to say, no, there's beauty in this diversity. Yeah, it can be a bit chaotic, but that's not always a bad thing. You know, order is not always, you know, the best thing. Which I think also makes me as a fan less kind of 
bitter and abrupt about the idea of the New Republic not necessarily being perfect, like you see in The Mandalorian. Like You can kind of rationalize it in that, okay, the Force might be back in the balance, but that doesn't mean the chaos isn't there anymore. It doesn't mean the bad isn't there anymore. And nor does it mean that the bad isn't necessarily inherent and normal part of this universe. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And you know, we, we, we get more of a sense that too in um, some of the you know the aftermath novels and the um, um, Le- and Leia's story right she's trying to uh, her Mon Mothma and others to try and you know forge you know forge the new republic and all those political battles and you know th- this goes back to I mean literally goes back to uh, the conversation between Anakin and Padme in Attack of the Clones um, where you know. Anakin saying, look, the politicians all be made to get together, hammer out the problem, and agree to a solution. And Padme's like, yeah, that's what we do, you know, dumbass. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> the problem is not everyone's going to agree. And Anakin's response, well, they should be made to, right? Um, and this is autocracy versus democracy, right? This is, you know, uh, a one-party political system. Um, versus a multi-party political system or parliamentary system, right? This is, you know, one voice who thinks they have a handle on the truth saying this is is what is true and right for all time um, versus a multitude of voices bringing different perspectives. And yeah, it's messy and at least on, you know, some unfortunate political outcomes. Um, But it's honestly, well, first of all, it's the only way to respect, you know, people's freedom, you know, the, their fundamental freedom uh, to choose, um, but also the fact that all of us should have, you know, a dose of epistemic humility. Um, you know, this is a notion philosophers talk about, right? Um, uh, epistemology is the study of knowledge. And so when we talk about truth, right, we're talking about what can we know to be true? And some philosophers are, are epistemic nihilists. They would argue there's no such thing as truth, Um or if there's only, or maybe there's one truth, as Nietzsche says, and that's the will to power, which Palpatine gives voice to in Revenge of the Sith. Um, but the idea being that for most, for a lot of philosophers, or the, the non-nihilist philosophers like myself, I'm a realist about truth. I believe there is truth, you know, and I believe that I know some truths, right? I know math, some mathematical truths. I know some scientific truths, um, but I know some truths of logic. Um, and then there's other things I believe are true, right? Like, again, I was raised Catholic. I, I believe in God, but I don't know that God exists. My wife's an atheist, and people wonder, like, okay, how's a theist and atheist, you know, sustain a 20-plus year marriage? Um, well, because we both understand that each of us could be wrong, right? So in the sense, I guess we're both really agnostic. Um, but now in the sense, I mean, she lives her atheism. I'd live my theism. And, and so we're not simply saying, well, we, we don't know. Um, it's that, no, I think this is true, but I could be wrong. And if we just had a bit more of that in, in political society, um, we'd all be, you know, we got to stop dealing in absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the Jedi and the Sith were both very much dealing in absolutes throughout the saga. And we've talked a lot about how that doesn't necessarily display the Force. And I'm, I am I adore going into the philosophical rabbit holes of Star Wars. I know we've talked about a lot of awesome stuff like 
what the heck does the Chosen One mean? Was Anakin predestined to it? Uh, the cohesiveness of the moral saga. It, so much in here. I'm Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us today. This has been an awesome kind of conversation just on the whole philosophy of this series. Oh, my pleasure. This, this has been so much fun for me. And yeah, last night, you know, going through the, the questions we were going to discuss and thinking about answer like, yeah, it was so much fun. And, and to reread my essays, like, oh, there was actually some interesting thoughts there <laughs> compared to other things I've written. I don't have any interesting thoughts. <laughs> but um, no, it, it was so much fun. And, and uh, yeah, you, you guys have brought great points. Um, yeah, I would just love to be able to do this again sometime. Final question before we let you go. Sure. Season one or season two of Mandalorian? Pick one now. Two, I mean, I mean, two has the biggest surprises, the biggest. I mean, Ahsoka, Bo-Katan, plus Katie. I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan, so the moment I learned that Katie Sackhoff was going to be in the Mandalorian, I just squealed like a little mm. kid. So yeah, <laughs> Starbuck, Starbucks in the Mandalorian, um, and playing an awesome character to boot. Um, and then of course the finale. I mean, the that yeah, season two. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, that's going to be hard to top, but like I, I trust, and Dave, we trust. And Dave, we trust. But guys, <laughs> you, <laughs> guys, you can hear more about kind of Jason's works by picking up the ultimate Star Wars and philosophy. You must unlearn what you have learned on Amazon or Star Wars and philosophy, more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Uh, and a lot of juicy stuff in there or we were reading your article it was just like mind blown with it all and like usual guys you can also get in touch with us at podwars podcast or ask podwars podcast at gmail.com and that note have an awesome week